0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke and I'm Jake, and you're listening to the Cinema Side Show podcast, episode 219.
1: No second sticks on the show, Zeke.
0: No second sticks. Clear? A lot of tail
1: slating, just like in your film. I know, I know. Hey, we how many tail slates did we do on my film? Way more than we did normal slates. <laughs> no, that no. I've been on some. I've been on some projects, man. A lot of tail slating, a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> At least it wasn't that lot. That it many series. Bad. No, no series takes. Hey, doing, Jay? Yeah, there was no serious text. I'm good. I'm tired, but it's a good kind of tired, sake. It's a very energised, mm. things-are-happening kind of tired, <laughs> which I don't know, is, is much better than just all those things, but, like, not being tired as well. I think it's good, because it makes yeah, you productive,
0: know, yeah, yeah, and, like, you're tired because you've been working hard.
1: Yeah, which can be good. Mm. When, peop- when people, like, I'm uh, like, oh, how you been? Haven't seen you a while, and they're usually like, oh, I'm just busy usually like yeah that's a great thing it's good that you're busy absolutely because you know it's a productive you're a productive member of society you doing maybe maybe you're busy doing things that do not product society but (laughs) but nevertheless it's good it's good for the soul good for the body is very true yeah so i i I get it i I do get what that comes from like i said expression but but zeke yeah we we just watched a film about a man who's uh Probably very tired and (laughs) very busy. Went on a bit of a quest. Quite a few trials. Yes. Saw many things, Mm. many sights. Um, Jake, do you have
0: any trivia from the film of the week, The Green Knight? I do.
1: I do, in fact. Now, I'll get into it soon. I did watch one of the director's other films to sort of prep for this, because I did see The Green Knight a couple Mm. of years ago when it first came to Prime, in particular, And I sort of noticed a a common theme with this guy's work where you have, uh, in particular with The Green Knight, the floating letter, which ignites in midair, was done practically. It was achieved not through visual effects, but using like fishing line and gunpowder, which sort of reminded me of the uh, lack of visual effects, very practical way of doing things in his earlier film, A Ghost Story, where you have just a physical person in a white cloak throwing things. (laughs) There's there's no visual where the things are magically flying around. Oh, I guess there are a couple, but 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 to point out specifically the lack of visual effects across his filmography in general. But Zeke, what's your fun fact about the Green Knight? Well, it's a bit of a cheeky one because it sort of
0: it it involves uh, two actors that are in this film, Mm. Um, and the fact that this wasn't the first time they were working together, but sort of alludes Mm. to something that we might be covering. Next week on the show. Ooh, tease. Um, yeah, so this obviously wasn't the first time that... Oh, man, I've just lost who the two actors were. Oh, no. Really <laughs> awkward. There we go. I got it. Um, obviously, Ralph Nesson, who mm. plays the Green Knight in this film. Yes. Um, and Kate Dickey. This is actually the not the first time they starred together in a A24 film. Ooh. The first time being they co-starred in the 2015 film The Vitch.
1: Oh. Ooh. That's a great film itself, Zeke.
0: Yeah. We should do it soon. We might do it soon. (laughs) Who knows? But Jake! Well, this film wouldn't make the poster behind us in terms of it wouldn't have been available at the time that poster was made. No. But would you include this on your 1,100 films to watch before you die?
1: I reckon I would. I think there are plenty of uh, films out there that cover sort of, you know, medieval, um, I was going to say topics. It's not quite Mm. the word I'm looking for, but... In terms, like I said, genre of the era of storytelling, I should say, Arthurian, if you will. And I think this is one of the, not only one of the most approachable versions of that kind of story, especially the story of Gowin and the Green Knight, but one of the most creatively and artistically interesting ones mm. to be made. There's a lot of, lot of surrealism and interesting visuals. There's a lot going on in this film that I think really enhances the story. And we can get more into that later, but I think that's why I probably would put it on my poster. What about you, Zeke? Um, it's an
0: interesting one because I think a film like this, if it had come out, um, maybe even 10 years earlier, mm. I would feel more favorable on it. But you okay. know, I, I think not that it's a bad film. It's a good film. Very good film. But I think in terms of the mythos and the, the, the medieval rhetoric that's in the film mm. and the exploration of that sort of old time East Anglo-Saxon literature, and folklore. I think that there are other films that sort of cover that sort of time, maybe and that level of surrealist cinema, mm. stuff from Robert Eggers. Mm. Um that I think I might prefer. Okay. Like, um I'm flipping and flopping between uh and I'm sure we'll draw some comparisons between The Northman and something like this or sure. even um Malod's king um or you know there are plenty of others you could go in there well, even Wolfwalkers, to some extent yeah that's true in terms of its uh, the folklore, folklore aspect, aspect.
1: It. i will say to your credit i mean you named a lot of films that i have seen like the northmen and Wolfwalkers and whatnot but to be fair i haven't seen a whole lot it's not my favorite genre of storytelling or my era of storytelling necessarily in terms of the the high fantasy not fantasy what well, is fantasy there's yeah. magic and and some mythos in this film but uh, to your credit, I haven't seen a whole lot of films that do cover this era of time and this mythos. So that, that might be part of the reason why I would put it on my poster. Yeah, cool. Not a huge frame of reference.
0: The real question is, maybe mm. we might even turn to the community for this. You did say oh. a couple of weeks ago, Jake, mm. that maybe we might retire one day the uh, whether we put this on the poster... Um yeah yeah I um, think or where we put this in our 1100 films to watch before we die sure Perhaps we need to seek another way in in I don't know when maybe the start of season what do we end of season 5 end of We're season, end five, season start of six. 5 now yeah so <laughs> I just thought maybe if anyone in the community has an idea to replace that throw yeah, it out Yeah no it's not Send bad throw it out there
1: I think I think mean, part of the reason is especially more recently we've been covering a lot of films that are sort of mm. up in the Oscar race and everything and now we're doing the 2020s film and it's part of our decade challenge so the next several episodes will be films that are or aren't on the poster but doing so many films that it's sort of irrelevant to the main question is is it our favourite of 1100 films I think it's such a I don't know I'm, I'm questioning the usefulness of that mm. question and that answer I, I think it's more fun when the film we're guessing is it on the poster or isn't it as opposed to whether it deserves to be yeah I don't know, I've been thinking about that more, and like i don't, I don't know if this is the most the best way to open up our discussion on the film of the week,
0: I think we have to think about it the more yeah, I mean, if I was to brainstorm on the show, it would be mm. something along the lines of would it make a a form of league that you would put these coveted... would you covet the film? and mm. of some kind would we award it, I don't know, something. I always think of Good Game's rubber chickens <laughs> and the golden chicken, but... That's, Whatever, that's a
1: throwback right there. That is a throwback. Very Aussie. Very Aussie. Yeah, I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's something. I think it's like the ranking aspect of it, mm. where it's like us giving like a I liked it or didn't like it this early in the show. And of course we have our super more nuanced conversation later on. Yeah. And I doubt our audience is listening to the first five minutes and be like, Ah, oh, they didn't put it on their poster? I'm not listening to this anymore. This I doubt tri- that's happening, but But hey, if you've got any no suggestions
0: for what we can replace it with or even mm. just retire in general, please let us know at Cinema Side Show.
1: There you go. Now, Jake, what have you caught in the last week? Uh, quite a couple of things. I hmm. was hoping to catch you a little bit more, that's okay. You get busy, Zeke. I watched the first two episodes of Lucky Hank. Thoughts? The new Bob Odenkirk show on on Stan, um, yeah. Look, it's I'm not overly enjoying it. I will say, so for those who don't know, it's a forty minute sort of uh, campus comedy drama or tragic tragedy drama. What what's the term? Com- comedy tragedy drama like that whole mixture. Yeah, like a tragedy
0: tragedy drama. I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
1: I'm forgetting the. I actually heard an ad on the radio for this, which I was I was shocked by. Dramedy. Comedy, yeah, exactly that kind of thing. It was like, you know, we first met him in Breaking Bad. I was I was shocked that that exists, <laughs> and I heard it on the radio. But uh, campus comedy drama, like we're saying, it's about Bob and Kirk's character Hank, who's sort of going through a midlife crisis. He's a very uninfused university tutor. He's got daddy issues, uh, cancelable takes, if you will, uh, an inferiority complex. He's teaching a bunch of students who are overly sensitive. Vape obsessed, and you know, there's a lot of funny little, you know, college based humor in there. Taking a mickey out of tutors that are like relying on 20 year old accolades to feed Mm -hmm. their own egos, and the students who, um, you know, are so obsessed with themselves and and finding every excuse to blame their lack of education not on themselves. There's a lot of that stuff, and I was like, that's nifty. I will say, I haven't seen many, I haven't seen Community, for example, I haven't really seen any other like campus based comedy shows. Uh, so that might feed into my opinion there, but I don't know. I just, it's okay. I'm not really finding it that funny. Uh, the cast isn't really, I'm not that invested in the characters. I know we're only a couple of episodes in, it might pull a BoJack, where after a few episodes, like, it will really start to sink mm. in what it's about. And the, and there is the drama side of it. Where, like I said, I joked about him having daddy issues, but that's generally a big part of his character is trying to live up to the, um, the mythos and the legend of his father. Uh, as a literature tutor and 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 writer, so this all that stuff's in there, but it's, I don't think it's finding the right balance for me. And I I look at something like I mentioned BoJack. You can even look at something like The Office, which it's not really like the percentage ratio of comedy versus drama. Like I don't need sixty percent comedy and forty percent drama. I don't mm. need something so binary as that. But I think I just need the show where it can be funny, but when the drama hits, that it's got to take those characters seriously. It's like you know when Jim first asked Pam at the end of season two, and it's like that's a really emotional scene, and they let it breathe, and it's really quite upsetting. And I just don't see Lucky Hank pulling that off yet, because I think as a show these days, you can be a straight comedy, but I think mm. if you're going to try and add, inject elements of drama, like I, I just think the character work needs to be a bit stronger. And I'm not sitting here, you know, telling them how to do that. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not. I've seen two episodes. I gave it a chance. It's not really working for me. So I might watch another episode or two. We'll see how we go, but I can see myself falling off this. Uh, the other one I watched, I went to the cinema to see this oh. I finally caught After Sun, which I was very excited to see. Uh, Charlotte Wells' heavily autobiographical, I think it's a feature debut as well. I think it's her first feature film, uh, which explores the relationship between a young father and his 11-year-old daughter. It really does feel like just her diary, like a cinematic diary of like, her childhood and it's it, they're using uh, camcord footage that was done during this holiday they went on and that's mm. like meant to represent the collection of memories that she has about her father and you kind of really need to know that going into the film because it is quite vague where it is just a father and daughter on a holiday and you really do have to extract a lot of the meaning and the actual story uh, away from that so I well, struggled with that a little bit and I think the best way to summarize it is. By the end of the film, as the credits were rolling, someone to my left was bawling their eyes out, crying, and someone to my right was just being like, "What the hell was that? (laughs) I don't know what I just saw." So it's 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 either going to hit you really really hard, or it's just going to kind of go straight over your head. Yeah, yeah, I think. And and I wouldn't say it confused me. I definitely understood, like in terms of what happened, what the ending means, the fate of the characters. I definitely got what it was putting out for me i definitely have a very strong interpretation i think this happened to this character and this Mm. is what happened to this character um but otherwise it's it's very much just a collection of events happening and you really have to notice a lot of the little things i mean even just the sophie the little girl and the way she sort of mimics her father or like the scope of felix stuff she has with like the the older horny teenagers and uh, you know what position are they in the bed versus on the balcony? At what points in the film? Like, there is a lot of stuff that you have to read into. Uh, the film's right. not really going to give you a lot of that context, or or ham fist the the message or the the themes or anything like that. So I really respected it from that front. From an emotional standpoint, I wasn't there bawling my eyes out like some of the theater was. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really need to digest it because yeah. it's a very interesting film, very very well made but it you kind of have to work with it in that sense. So, would I recommend it? Absolutely. It is a great film. But I it's one of those films that I think I need more people to talk to about it because otherwise I'm I'm sort of watching this thing, interpreting it and then walking away. This is a perfect film to walk out and like discuss with people. Mm. What do you think that meant? Oh, what do you think the ending means? What do you or what, this scene or that scene? You it's perfect for that kind of you know, discussion. Cinema sideshow discussion, so to speak. So maybe we'll do this one day on the show. I think it would be a great pick. But, yeah, After Sun, I thought it was great. A lot to digest. I think is what I'll take away from that. Now, before I move on, Zeke. Yes. You cut, caught anything in the last week?
0: I did. I caught a couple of things. I, too, went to the cinema. Oh, very good. Um, I did see something that was a little more, uh, I don't know, commercial. Um, <laughs> I went and saw the Dungeons & Dragons film. So Dungeons & Dragons, mm. Honor Among Thieves, and well, boy. I have to give two things from this. So I went and saw this at Carousel, Hoyt's Carousel. Yeah. Which, as Jake, you know, is kind of like the 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 peak of, I guess, shopping center cinemas. Like it's very
1: <laughs> bougie. It is, it is very nice. Yes. It is a very nice the seats are very nice. And it was really like nice.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I went with Lucinda and, and we were we went and I found it really interesting because it was pretty packed. It was like 80% full. Okay, cool. Which was very good. You know, it was a Friday night. and Was it
1: opening night? Or had it come out like the day uh, before? Well,
0: it's in pre-screening, so it gets released March 30th. Yeah, so I was gonna, Yeah, it's
1: wi- going wide later this week, which I thought was interesting.
0: So um, I went and saw it. And yeah, like I said, 80% theatre. And they were great. There were people dressed up oh. as characters. <laughs> That's great. Um, and overall, it, it ended up being just... An immeasurably fun film mm. to go to. I I put it in the same calibre as the overwhelmingly pleasant experience it was to watch the Lego Movie for the first time. Okay, I knew or, we were kind of
1: hoping for that experience.
0: Yeah, or or a, or, or a Kingsman where you mm. go in with very low expectations and you you're met with a very positive result. Yeah. Essentially, what we get is like you know if you ever played D and D, and I've played D and D, and I'm a big fan, and um, you basically get that meets Star Trek in terms of, I think Chris Pine's at his peak when mm. he's the quippy fun back and forth kind of anti-hero, like okay. what he plays Captain Kirk in the Star Trek, the JJ J. Abrams Star Trek movie. Um, I think that's, for me, that's peak Chris Pine. I mm. think he, even in Wonder Woman where he plays the, you know, the pilot and the, he, he serves that type of act, you know, that role really well. And, it's a, honestly a really strong ensemble performance. I mean, mm. there is, uh, like, I don't particularly care for Michelle Rodriguez in most things, but found her incredibly entertaining in this film. And um,
1: She's actually an interesting pick for this kind of fantasy. Like, I know she's like an action star. Yeah. But, yeah. And no, she does
0: play, like, a barbaric character. Okay. So yeah, she cool. kind of fits into her fast and furious uh, mould, but... Mm. Um, you got people from, like, a, you know, Rent Roger, Jean Page, who, who was in uh, Bridgerton. Mm. Um, he's really good. In it. Justice Smith. Now, we haven't talked about Justice Smith since Detective Pikachu. Yeah. And he's great. God, okay, forget okay. how good he is. He's perfect as that sort of, well, that Jay Bershonol kind of character, the oh, wimpy, okay. nerdy yep. underdog character. Um, yeah. I mean, this film's getting a lot of positive praise. Um, everyone seems pleasantly... Delighted with That's
1: the it. vibe I got is people yeah, like the surprise of the month, that kind of
0: Yeah response yeah. to it. I know? think we're gonna look back on this year and it will be the one that we're we're just genuinely like, Yeah, that was a really good film. Mm. Like that was the one that sort of we're really happy with and um it's nice. definitely opened for a sequel. Like it's very obviously
1: Sure. Well you don't you least. don't make a Dungeons and Dragons film and it's not franchisable. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: I hope that it maintains the momentum. I know Lego Movie didn't sustain that momentum over its second film, but what I really like is there is definitely room there for it to grow and be quite fun. Um, whether you get the same quality of story... I mean, the beauty of Dungeons & Dragons, even the way it's plot... Like, I have to give props here. It's it's done directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan M. Goldstein, and I was like, why am I really enjoying this film? Mm. Like, it's funny, sure... Um, The action's really good, but the editing was, like, fantastic. Okay. And the cinematography was fantastic. I'm like, this is so weird to see this in this kind of film. Mm. Um, So, I then go check, what did these two do together? They did Game Night. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense why well, I really liked it. Oh, so, the there, 2017 yeah. comedy, Game Night, where some of the editing sequences in that are, like, insane for a comedy movie. Right. Um,
1: better than have any right to be, like... <laughs> Absolutely, yep. okay,
0: and they've definitely maintained the the momentum. Also, there's a cameos from Auntie Donna, which is all oh, fun. Ah, there you go. Oz
1: Local, very nice, um, excellent. No, well, look, look, I'm it doesn't necessarily make me more interested to see it because I'm just not a Dungeons Dragons person whatsoever. But I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it. I'm glad to hear the general consensus is it's a nice, warm surprise. So that's yeah, excellent.
0: Honestly, if you're not a big D and D fan, just wait for it to come to one of the streaming platforms. Sure. Watch it. It's a nice popcorn movie. Yeah. It was such a nice surprise on a Friday, the end of a week. Yeah. to so go watch a film that was like, no brain power required. Sure. Um, the only other film I did watch mm. um, was a, a much more uh, sort of mature film, I guess. Okay. Um
1: a bit more thought-provoking.
0: Yeah, so I, I watched <laughs> Good Luck to You, Leo
1: Grande. And oh, Okay. I don't know if you've yeah, I haven't seen it but we obviously we heard a lot about it when it was going through the the networks and then came out wide release. What'd you think of it? Solid. Really solid. Mm. I
0: I'm a massive fan of Emma Thompson. Yeah. Um and this film really feels like a really good notch in the belt. Um obviously it is an aging school teacher who um seeks the sort of well she basically she seeks the the comforts of a of A you know male uh, escort, Mm. and it's basically the story is their relationship unfolding over sort of three or four different meetings. takes place pretty much solely in the hotel room. Which okay,
1: that's interesting.
0: Um, and it's just a a two header. Um, it's really interesting. It it's a collection of obviously monologues. It's very like I said. It's because it's confined to the hotel room. Um, over all four meetings, uh, the first three meetings, and then the fourth one is the only one that sort of differs from, but basically it's sort of about what I found really interesting about it. This is a film by, um, I'm going to get her name just at the ready, uh, man, so much easier on the, there we go, directed by Sophie Hyde. And it's really, it's quite an interesting film because obviously it's a very, um, like sex positive film and it talks about sort of that, uh, you know, when people get to a certain age, they start to look away. Mm-hmm. Emma Thompson's character's sort of in that mindset where she's only ever been with her husband, who's her late husband. Yeah. and Looking to experiment. Yeah, well, looking to find herself, I think. Mm. And it actually has really emotional beats in there, which I think could really resonate with a mature audience. And um, I personally was, like, sort of struggling to... You know, it's sort of like that uh, that before you know, sunrise, sunset, midnight situation, as we were talking about, as we started to get into the 40s, we started to find ourselves becoming a little bit more disconnected from the sure the The personal the struggles nature. of the characters. Obviously, yeah. films like Blue Jay, much closer to our age, or, mm. or the idea around them, whereas this film was sort of just exploring predominantly Emma Thompson's character. Like, um, Daryl McCormick, great performance by him, mm. has a story there, but it's not... I don't think not as important to this story as the Emma Thompson side so, of it. Yeah. I think that's definitely the focus, um, focusing on sort of that, obviously, post-middle age um, female identity and sort of reclaiming that um, that empowerment mm-hmm. in, in oneself. And I think for that reason, it's a massive like notch in the belt for Emma Thompson. It's a great film. Um, and it's a great minimalist film. It show it does show the power of what one room and two people can do mm. in a space. Um, I think the subject matter was handled perfectly because of that. That actually confining it to that one space. Okay, yeah, almost um, sort of
1: simplified it in a way. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, so yeah, it was a really solid film. I mean, it's built a, a comedy drama. I don't think it really hits the comedy beats. It, like okay. it's not a comedy. It's definitely more a drama that has maybe a few quips and quaps and but I think to be honest, you know, we sometimes do watch films and go, That was a really good film. I'm very much not the target audience for this film. Sure. Yeah. And this was sort of that experience. Very much it's...
1: a middle aged women target audience yeah
0: and as two young men I don't know um, <laughs> even, uh, even I even if I was sitting there with Lucinda watching this film mm. the relatability there was quite foreign Yeah. I'm not
1: yeah no that, that's fair enough I will say especially seeing films like up uh, to be fair after Sun it was quite a good range or a lot of other like late teens early 20s that were in there but otherwise the majority of the films I go and see uh, I think it's more the session times like a Sunday 2 p.m so where you're gonna get a lot of oldies in the cinema as well, but they—they're very respectful usually. Yeah, one, we I've, know we know one or two. <laughs> Doesn't matter how old they hum- are; they're dingers. still on their phone, which is um, infuriating. But
0: good film. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend it to most of the people that probably listen to this podcast. But, sure. Um, if you like Emma Thompson, yeah, give it a go. There you go. She's great. Bit of rep for Emma. Amazing how funny and. Serious. She's got that perfect balance down. Yeah,
1: excellent. Oh, well, she's very seasoned. So, yeah. Did you catch anything else? I caught one other film. Yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, there's the other film from David uh, Lowry, who of course directed The Green Knight. Ghost story. A ghost story. Oh, this was on stand. First off, I finally get the pie meme. I mean, of course, everyone gets the pie meme, but I finally saw it in real time, Zeke. <laughs> I'm not sure time. I understand what's the pie meme. Oh, it's always like that. Oh, there's like a thirty-minute scene in the film where she's just eating a pie. It's kind of true. It's more like six minutes, but it's true. She's just Rooney Mara is just eating a pie for six minutes straight. <laughs> Casey, Affle- Casey Affleck, <laughs> Casey Affleck's in it. Yeah, it's very okay. This is I've, I've very interesting. I thought this is a great idea for a short film that has been stretched out into a ninety-minute feature. Now, not. Saying that disparagingly, I'm not saying that because there's is like, massive, uncomfortably long takes with uncomfortably long silences. I'm not saying because of any of those reasons, but because of its structure. Because I remember in, I think it was first year uni, so I was a short, like, a, a writing class. Not, not for screenplays, but, like, short stories. And one of the advice I got in terms of writing short-form stories is don't focus on character arcs so much. Focus on a time and a place. Mm. Or, like... A, a single place as time passes by it. And I wrote a few stories about like, a, one about a diner of like time passing at this diner and all the things that come in and out of that diner. I think mean, there's like a robbery at one point and then a couple that get um, like hitched there, whatever it is. And then one about someone waiting at a street lamp or a, sorry, a, like an intersection with street lights that are just like stuck on red. So like I've taken that lesson and applied it to some short stories. And this very much takes that idea to the extreme of like the mm. passing of time in a single place. Um, And much like After Sun, it is very quiet, very vague, and open to interpretation. Much like Lamb, Under the Skin, films that just sort of play out in front of you. And there's a few exceptions. There's a Virginia Woolf quote at the start. There's a scene with a guy at a party that goes on this big rant about like the afterlife and like the, the cyclical nature of time. And I thought that was a little bit much. Mm. I don't think we needed it. I think the film was just so confident up until that point. But... It just raises raises so much questions about even the the ghost that we're following. We're following a literal ghost as he's like passively watching things play out, and especially as um, you know the love of his life, you know, deals with the grief of losing him. But then eventually that fades away, and it, eventually she moves out, and then he kind of gets lost into the rut that is that place. As different families move in, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but it really takes it to a place you're not expecting it to, and I really applaud it for that. And especially by the end, where I finally saw, like, okay, now I understand why this person had to make the Green Knight, because up until then I really wasn't seeing the connection. Mm. Um, as it gets more and more and more surrealistic, it's like, ah, oh, okay, I get it now. And even just clever little things like the fact that the ghost that we're following is a, like a physical body in a white cloak. It's like it's not messing around with like overly obnoxious visual effects. There's no scenes where like characters like walk through him or like this pass by effect, pass through effect, I should say. Um, it's just very simple blocking where the characters just walk around the ghost and the ghost very rarely interacts with things. And mm. I just thought it was a good way to like not draw attention to itself. It's like we have a story to tell. Let's not get bogged down with like, ooh, the ghost visual effects. It's like, no, here's a very simple way we're going to do this for you on a very limited budget. And now you can pay attention to the rest of the story. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It is very slow-paced. I mean, I've definitely seen enough films now to know, like, this isn't the slowest-paced film in the world, like some people have claimed, but <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm glad I finally saw it, mm. and finally saw a six-minute scene where... Someone ate a pie. Someone ate a pie. <laughs> Very All good. done. Yeah. Now, this leads into Zeke. Yeah. Something else I watched, but I want to talk about it as through our career updates section. Yeah, cool. Because it's a local film that was made. You can find it on Josh Schnair's YouTube channel. It's called the might of the daleks so it's a doctor who fan film it comes from the same people usually to make the star trek fan films locally mm-hmm. around here and it's bloody awesome it abides to the 60s william hartnell doctor who production stuff it's all in black and white with some horrifying uh imagery that like it literally looks like the lighthouse at certain points with the way they're using like these bright whites to like exacerbate the horror on like the actors faces um, they're using miniatures, and the soundtrack is like really pounding in your face in a really sort of sixties way, if you will. They built a life-size Dalek prop that actually moves around. And you say it, it's by Josh Neers? Well, it's on Josh Snare's YouTube channel. I think he produced it. But you know, you got some of our local Skin and Blister alumni like um, Joe Henderson, Blake Thompson, Luke Moore. They were all on the film in various roles, uh, visually and sound, of course. Um, But the other person involved was Bethany Newton, who's one of the main actors in Skin and Blister. Whoa! So, yep, she's also starring in this film. She's great in it. You should all absolutely check it out. So, like I said, Josh Nair's YouTube channel. Um, I thought it was awesome. Again, as someone who doesn't really understand Doctor Who at all, has never seen it, especially not the 60s versions of Doctor Who, um, I thought it was awesome. It It beautifully fits into the aesthetic of the 60s. It's genuinely scary and horrifying. Like, it's <laughs> dark in places, and I'm not going to get into some of the themes of it, but it's dark. Like, <laughs> it's really messed up, <laughs> some of the stuff that happens in the film. So, that is my career update slash last thing I watched, recommendation to people. Go check it out. Great local filmmaking. Very nice. Yeah, you seen, you've seen Doctor Who? You're into Doctor Who?
0: Um, I haven't seen a lot. Okay. But I'm like, I've got it right there. Right. Oh, it. you're watching it now, yeah. I just put it up, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. And it's like even the the aspect ratio.
1: Yeah, yeah. I thought that was quite cool. I guess story also has a very interesting aspect ratio. It's even got the curvatures like a like an old TV in the
0: corner. I couldn't think of a better segue to go into a film of the week, Jake. Mm. Speaking of David Lowry. Lowry? Is that Lowry or Lowry?
1: Low, Low, Lowry? Low, Lowry, Lowry? Lowry. Lowry Lowery. Well, sorry,
0: David, if we got your surname wrong.
1: I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to David Lowry.
0: Um obviously Our latest installment in the Countdown Through the Decades Retrospective, which we'll talk about later in the show. But Jake,
1: what are we watching? This week in the show, Zeke, we're watching The Green Knight. Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be thee. One year hence.
0: Another year nearly gone already. You must seek him out. Was it not just a game? Perhaps, but
1: it is not complete. Why do you stop me?
0: Me too. Do? is at hand. You rest your bones. I'll finish your quest for you. This. Honor. That is why a knight does what he does. Are you ready? An epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend, the Green Knight tells the story of Sir Garwin. King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew, who embarks on a daring quest to confront the Eponius? Eponus? Green Knight? Eponymous? Eponymous? Often, I the, don't... The
1: tree guy. Tree dude. The dude made a tree. You Emerald skin. Right. What not? How do I pronounce Tester it? Tester of men. Up, up, up. Totally sick dude. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I am sorry i am just going to want
0: to figure this out. Oh, okay. Right.
1: Sorry. <laughs> and let it slip by you. Apparently, I misspelled the word opportunity on my uh, on my document. Oh, I didn't put the N in Why there. Why is
0: the lady not speaking? Eponymous. Eponymous. Eponymous.
1: It sounds like a Harry Potter spell.
0: Eponymous. Eponymous. It does sound like Harry
1: Potter. <laughs> How far into you are you? R.O.P. headphone listeners.
0: <laughs> oh, they were cutting. Was it cutting? Was it cut? oh, no, I'm going. I'm going. I early. was going to cut it. Oh. <laughs> That's what I thought. I'm about. not cutting any of
1: this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay.
0: We're going to do it again. You're going to do it again? Eponymous. All right. An epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend, The Green Knight tells the story of Sir Gawain, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew who embarks on a daring quest to confront the
1: eponymous Green Knight. I guess, uh, I guess we do do second six on the show. Despite what I said 30 minutes ago.
0: <laughs> to be honest, I got that in two, which is not even my worst. There's been ones where it's been like, oh, it took been like 20 takes. Ones.
1: I mean, any any more than like six takes. I just shove them at the end of the podcast <laughs> after the, after the soundbite finishes. <laughs> just
0: a lot of swearing off the air. Oh, That's no. why the explicit tag's there. It's not actually for the show. It's for all the outtakes. There you go. Eponymous. That's the word. Eponymous. A
1: tester of men. Do you know what it means? It's... Uh, uh, strange? Not strange. Like, mis- mysterious? Uh, it's Pre- previously beheaded person?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's an adjective of a person giving their name to something. Of a thing. Named after a particular personal group. So it's like such a nothing word.
1: But most, most people...
0: The eponymous hero... We were of all novel. given our names, Zeke. I know this it it's just the given name. Oh, it's the given name of the novel. So it's like the titular character.
1: Oh, uh, use titular. It could have said confront the titular Green Knight. Yeah, it's Everybody. trying to be all fancy, Zeke. All right, the definitely. film. The film is very. The film is very fancy, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm curious, Zeke, because we haven't talked about this too much yet. No. I saw this a couple of years ago. Actually, if you go back to episode one four eight, Fantastic Mister Fox is where I first talked about my initial thoughts in the film and i loved it i think it's a great great film i much enjoyed watching it a second time around zeke i'm very curious what your upfront thoughts are you already said at the start of the show you've you've seen other films that may have done this but better mm. so i'm curious about that but please take it away take it away zeke
0: yeah look i i was i enjoyed the film and it, it was quite an interesting sort of experience obviously coming from the robert eggers world i mm. only just recently watched the northman and then, even within the last year, watched The Lighthouse for the first time. So, um, this mysticism, mythology um, way, just because this is in that Anglo-Saxon sort of era. Sure. Um, obviously, like they talk about, that Arthurian legends, of the legend of King Arthur, the sword of the stone. And I, I think that this film is quite uh, interesting mm-hmm. and very compelling and, and very easy to watch.
1: Um, yeah, I was surprised by how, like, approachable it is like you don't need to know I remember the the early screenings of Northman like oh you have to have like a master's degree in Norse mythology to understand it's like mm. no you don't no you don't and I was surprised yeah. by this film, you don't, don't even need that for Northman one. either yeah. no, no no you don't it was no. ridiculous it's the Lion King <laughs> yeah
0: and, the, and this this film's basically just the sword and the stone with a lesser man really mm. I mean essentially and the stone and the sword and the fox
1: don't forget the fox
0: yes of course <laughs> Um, dangling there in the poster. Look, it's, it's a good film. I think... My, the things I, I find compelling about it, I, I really do like the myth, mysticism, and the. Um, I find the first act a little slow, like for him before he
1: leaves. Okay, yeah.
0: Um, For his quest, but when he gets moving on his quest, it's it's quite compelling. I, w-
1: I will say, I was... And I actually wrote this in my initial letterbox review. Uh, the first act... Right up until he leaves the, I guess, the castle or the, his home, if you will. The editing in particular, I was a little like, oh boy. Because there's some weird editing in the first mm. chunk of this film. And and since that, apparently it's 76 seconds long, that shot, when he's, he's leaving on horseback. Pretty much from that point, on, I was like, okay, the pacing kind of, it made a lot more sense. To me. I think it slowed down in, yeah. in a way that I appreciated.
0: It's a very strange... Um sort of call to action obviously this this knight appears seemingly out of nowhere on Christmas day um well
1: yeah, they they cross cut with the 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 mythical reason why he appears yeah yeah
0: yeah i i do find it interesting because this, this film is basically sort of discussing that that whole concept of of forced destiny mm. and the ownership one must take and, and basically almost uh commenting on the the over chivalrous nature of knights and mm. that whole concept of of fulfilling your destiny. I, yeah. I think that really gets ironed home by the time Joel Edgington's character gets introduced. Um, there are some really interesting moments in here. I think it's really funny with Barry Keegan's <laughs> performance, which is essentially just what he does in Banshee's In the Sheeran um uh, even the mannerisms are like nearly the exact same it's
1: just so interesting like oh well, there is a bit of a twist cuz he does there almost is a bit of a reveal where he's not as like foolish as he appears to be once the ambush occurs yeah but even they they're, they're kind you, of the ravenous
0: they're more like hyenas in that sure, in that ambush yeah. they mug him and yeah. they're all kind of a little screwy loose yeah. but it is it is interesting when we we sort of look through this this film goes through such interesting moments like him crossing this desecrate battlefield mm. and and meeting um barry and then obviously the scavenger yeah who is a scavenger <laughs> and and eventually ends up getting mugged there's some interesting moments in here that are a little um which are really cool with eluding the eventual fate of patel's yeah. um garwin um
1: yeah i know i know what you're talking about and i i love those moments And I'll get into why pretty soon. Um, But in in terms of like the confidence for it to do that, of just sort of embrace the, and and, uh, like I said, I'm not overly familiar with the source material, but from my understanding, it's quite contradictory, all the different retellings of this story. Mm. And a lot of things actually don't quite make sense. And this film almost like acknowledges all the different ways in which it doesn't make sense and plays these ulterior versions where it's like we do see him as a skeleton in the forest. It's almost like this alternative outcome for what could have Mm. been for Gowan and, and especially, and I'll talk about the, what the camera's doing there, which I think is very interesting, but yeah, I I love the, the multifaceted take that this film has on its story and that there are a lot of contradictions and sort of alternative routes that, that some versions of the story tell and others don't and Mm. how it sort of embraces all of them. Yeah.
0: And I mean, at its core, I think it's just talking about that inevitability of destiny. Mm. Um, you know, garwin he, he garwin is inevitably going to die at the yeah. hands of the of the Green Knight, and if it wasn't for his mother, um, who well, a lot of these characters just have mother and like their billing is just what they are, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mother and king names, and all that. But Sarita Chowdhury's character, um, obviously giving him this in uh, magical band that prevents him from having any sort of physical harm done mm. to him, um. There are a couple of times it's a little confusing because like characters lose it and then it comes back and then it come- and disappears and yeah, kind yeah of like, a little tricky to follow in parts but um, obviously it's that inevitability that he will meet the headman's axe at the hand of the green knight. Mm. Um, There's really- definitely that
1: in terms of like the rising narrative and I definitely felt this the first time I watched it. Like yeah he's just he's going to die mm. like there is no other purpose to this mission is to just go there and be killed (laughs) so you're right in terms of like the fate that's almost unavoidable and and that aspect of he continuously fails to honor his word he continuously cowards out of situations or even if you look at those five virtues of being a knight and i think that's what all of the subheadings are throughout the film is like each test the test of friendship and the test of generosity he fails all of them he he doesn't completely fail them like when you know, Barrick can like prompts him of like, you know, aren't you going to give me something for, for the kindness? He kind of half asses it where he doesn't initially do it. And eventually yeah, he, has to he, be prompted. he has to be prompted to do it. And there's several moments like that throughout the film. Yeah,
0: Or, or like when, like Aaron Kellingman's character, mm. um, who is this maiden that was killed. And He's lost, lost his head. head, yeah. And it's lying at the end of, at the bottom of a, of a pond or a lake area, and and he turns around and goes, "What am I going to get for this?" Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's like no way.
0: But it's interesting because, yeah. like you said, it, it is fundamentally trying to analyze the mythos of of that honor and integrity, and mm. and probably shows how few men actually ever abided by that, and and deconstruct that sort of character. I don't, I don't think Patel's character is. Um, compelling or even an empathetic uh, protagonist in in a lot of this he's very much apathetic Mm -hmm. in the way that everything happens he's either apathetic or he's selfish yeah um
1: and especially a story like that like we can watch i mean ironically this is actually a great turn because the film this was up against in our vote was the worst person in the world which is all about and, and it's in a much more contemporary modern setting it's all about like self guilt and the pressure we put on ourselves to be better. And I think the reason the Green Knight kind of goes in the other direction where we're watching this character and being like, what an idiot or what, what a selfish asshole is because in this era of storytelling, in an Arthurian story, we expect our characters to be heroic and gracious and kind and like he's not serving any of these virtues. Mm. So I think that's almost an interesting juxtaposition there where it's like because of the time and place of the story the kind of expectations we have on these hero characters and our hero going on this journey, that when we see him fail at these virtues, that, you know, you and I can fail at from time to time. Maybe we're not overly kind or generous or, or forgiving ourselves, but we see this character in this setting and we're like, what a dickhead. <laughs> this is true. We can't get behind him. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah.
0: And it is, it's interesting because you... It's. Even the the small things, it's those like you said. It is those five virtues. It's each each of them at some point is is essentially being offered mm. and ticked off. It's when he goes through the Valley of the Giants and asks one of them to for, like for a, a free ride. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, uh... <laughs> rather than seeking the journey, ger- like he wants to take the easy road. Yes, or, or and obviously this all amounts to the ending. Where Mm. I think it's there's almost that karmic balance there that um, he has pretty much everything taken from him. Yeah. Camelot falls, and at least I assume it's Camelot. I mean, they don't ever say, but obviously his kingdom falls apart through invasion, and he's left with with no family to look after him and is completely isolated. Yeah. Um, And. It's interesting for me because obviously being King Arthur's nephew and there's that very early exchange in the first opening 15, 20 minutes between Arthur, Gawain and and Arthur's wife, Mm. where it definitely infers like he's the next one they've got in line to be the successor. Sure. Um, Well, he's offered that
1: seat. Yes. And he actually, surprisingly, he kind of doesn't immediately accept it. He's like, oh, you know, I'm, it, I'm, it's not, I'm not ready for it, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the apprehension of taking ownership and responsibility mm. and, yeah. and actually living up to the expectation. I mean, you're wanting to succeed the person that took the sword from the stone, united mm-hmm. the kingdom, and and I think that it in those opening acts, it's it's like when we get introduced to Gawain, he's he's in a um, brothel and mm-hmm. he's he's drunk and he's hungover and and very, I mean, the first. 30 or so minutes that's pretty much all he does really yeah apart from stepping to the to the green knight for a more out of i feel like out of obligation rather than actually doing it out of a sense of courage or pride or duty
1: yeah it's a very self-centered decision because you think about this sort of ritual that the mother does and it's like it's almost like akin to your mother throwing her son into the deep end Mm. to like you know to to learn to, to grow up and mature and and he takes the bait immediately. And I think it's a very self-centred act where everyone else is a bit cautious about this game and what's, what's so the trickery what here. Do you he jumps happening.
0: right in. Yeah, what do you think's happening in that? What's Chattery doing in that situation, like her character, the mother? Is she, like, manipulating him through mystic powers to step to the Green Knight? Or is...
1: I think, because I guess the physical, what's happening physically in the scene is the letter. That is what's written. That obviously is what's read. And this idea of the game and the challenge and whatever blow you do to me, I'll do to you a year from now. So it almost is, you know, there's it, it sort of one, excuse me, there's still like one layer removed between her pushing her son into this like big journey where he has to go and mature and become like the knight that we all, um, you know, aspirate to, if you will. Uh, but there's still that level of he has an opportunity to not take the bait here. And I think that's quite interesting then. Of course, he jumps at it and participates in the game and goes for a big blow to the head. I purely think that's what it is, is the mum is sick of his behaviour. It's very immature. He's waking up in brothels and mm-hmm. showing up drunk and, and smelling of booze. And um, She's sick of it. She wants her son to act up and mature. Yeah, And, and this is her way of doing it.
0: <laughs> it's the vanity that... He believes that that he can kill the Green Knight in one mm-hmm. in swing, and exactly. he goes be for the head. hero. Yeah. Um, whereas if he had gone for a, a lesser body part, yeah, then he might still be alive. But, there you go. Well, like you said, not take the bait. So yeah, there's definitely really interesting stuff. So for me, I don't know mm-hmm. what you would like to go to next, but I, I think it would be that it would have to be the um Joe Edgington and Alyssa Vik mm. um, which is the um I'm not sure what their build character names are, but they're basically a count I and mean, a countess. She's,
1: she's built as the lady. Of course she's getting two credits here. Yes. Because she's basically she's playing both characters and, and it's actually an interesting juxtaposition between them because the thing that I I was trying to think of, head, okay, well what makes these two characters different? Especially because Gowen You know, rejects this person who you know wants to be his lady, and Mm. he rejects her at the before he goes on his adventure. And I guess the thing is that she's more of like an average, simple woman versus you know this other lady he stumbles upon in his journey, who's um, more, I guess, regal or elegant. Mm -hmm. Is a reader, has like a library of books, uh, but is ultimately trying to is testing him by trying to seduce him. And I think it's quite interesting that juxtaposition there, but the fact that they are played by the same character and that's obviously part of the seduction, I yes. think. Against Galwin. It's very it's all very surrealistic, isn't it, Zeke? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's and it
0: I think that when that scene sort of un, unfolds, mm. um, and he sort of fully succumbs to that seduction, her line that she says, You're not a knight. Um, I
1: very much appreciate your wording this. <laughs> keep it professional.
0: Segoin <laughs> <Sagarin> didn't. <laughs> um, uh, he failed at that. He failed miserably at that. <laughs> um, like most things, he tries. Yeah. Uh. And yeah, I think it's interesting because like you said, it, it's. I think for that point, <laughs> it's very having the same actress playing the same like two different characters yep. on polarizing points really kind of nails that, doesn't it? Mm. So, where does that leave Joe Edgington's character? And mm. um, especially, you know, obviously, you know, particularly his farewell scene as as Garwin has decided to leave mm. the compound flea <laughs> and he gives him a big old smooch.
1: Big old smooch. If he tried to kiss you, you van But think? is
0: that vanity and ego? Is, is that what Edgington's
1: representing in that sense? Yeah. Self-love? I'm... Um. Yeah, I'm a little stumped by that, because I think the, the two things to take away from that is he asks, like, do you have something for me? And, of course, Gowan doesn't. I guess in that moment, the virtue is for him to give what he was given, which is the belt, which, like you said, kind of comes and goes throughout the story from many different characters. I mean, that might be part of, like, the whole accepting all the contradictions of the Arthurian story um, or, the, or just the fact that it's kind of mirroring his home life and that she's given him the belt that his mother gave him. Um, but he doesn't give it to Joel Edgerton. And the other thing as well was that Joel Edgerton has the fox. Mm. And I guess he's planning... I can't remember he's planning to kill it or to give it, but he decides to let him roam free again in the forest. So I guess those are the elements we should be focusing on mm-hmm. from that. Because, um, yeah, some of it... And, again, not being familiar with the source material, some of it does kind of... I'm I'm trying to keep track of. So, yeah, I'll, I'll mm. probably go off what you're saying there about the... The representation, if you will. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Now, the thing I gotta mention before we move on, and I was teasing this a bit about the the, the big one eighty or it's technically a free sixty shot of Gowan who turns into a skeleton when he's after he's been robbed from the scavengers. And I think this really sets us up for the ending. There's a one two three blow or I guess one two blow in this scenario. Um, where the camera has a very interesting semiotic relationship with the audience. Than none of the characters do, at least not until the ending, and I, f- I think for me it happens that first time when we do the free sixteen in the forest and we see like kind of this alternative route of what happens if he just turns into bones, mm. you know, lost to time in this scenario. This is almost like the camera giving us the audience like a look into this potential future. And the second time the camera does something of the silk where we, the audience, see some of the characters aren't interacting with, is when he initially throws the rock at the fox. That comes in from the cave. And it's very subtle here because... He throws it... And it looks like a POV shot. We're getting Gowan's POV as Mm. the fox runs away. But the thing is when the fox comes back to the other entrance of the cave... We cut back and the shot is actually of Gowan not having noticed that the fox returned. And then he notices. So it's a second little hint that the camera... Is showing the audience something that... At first we thought was the POV of the actor. Or the character. Turns out to not be. Now... This is brilliantly paid off at the end, which we already talked a little bit about, this idea of, like, this whole future envisionment of what would happen if he decides to run away from the Green Knight at the end. And this is one where it actually flips it, where the audience is tricked. We're watching it not realizing that this is a vision of the future that actually hasn't happened yet. And in fact, it's Gowen, the character, that has finally seen this and is ahead of us. So I just, I thought that was all really brilliant, how the the storytelling for the camera and the editing Mm. is there and how it sort of tricks the relationship we think we have with the camera versus the characters but this perfectly perfectly leads us into the ending where what do we think of the ending was that all just a big vision that plays out in Gowan's head or is that something that played in real time and uh it doesn't motivate his decision at the end to take off the belt and accept the blow to the head I'm curious what your whole interpretation of the ending is because it's wild.
0: I mean, I I think it's quite literal. I, mm. I for me, it was that moment where he take. I mean, obviously, you know, when he takes the the belt off and his and his head mm. falls off, and then it cuts back to that scene where he just takes it off before he accepts it. So, yep. like you said, it does suggest that almost everything while he's on the knees waiting to be have his head chopped off, mm. is just something in his head. Yeah, but. And like you said, that probably comes back to the, uh, not inconsistencies, but the multiple directions that the source literature goes, It just gives you those multiple different things. I saw it as, I would like to think that he had the belt on, had his head chopped off. Right.
1: The quotation marks. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And then he lived his life out and because it wasn't honorable, he sort of paid that karmic justice. Right. Losing his son in battle. Uh... Having his love of his life,
1: sort of pretty re- much thrown away. Yeah,
0: uh, in pursuit of royalty, loveless marriage, um, all in pursuit of this crown and glory mm. that it's eventually legend, comes tumbling, yeah. come tumbling down. And he he's known as the monarch that lost the kingdom. Yeah, more than anything. Um,
1: yeah, because at that point it's like either that his choice is either that, or, you know, honor your own word. Yeah. And to fulfill the Which game. It
0: makes me think he just honored his own word and fulfilled the game. Mm. And that would be the most obvious character arc conclusion. Yeah. Is that, yes, what we did see was just a simple vision of the future that mm. came to go. And in that fleeting moment where time is no object. And in yeah. a surrealist yeah. film, that passes yeah. <laughs> easy.
1: Well, like I said, you get the skeleton view on the tree. It's like the film has done this already. Yeah. It's shown us visions of the future that. That aren't the narrative we're necessarily following. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's probably what it was.
1: I think the first time I watched it, I was one million percent certain, like, okay, that's the arc, you're right. He's yeah. on to his word and he dies then and there. Yes. But it's like that's almost that's much better than him fulfilling this this you know, I'm gonna go and fulfill this life of regal and glory and, and but ultimately fail the kingdom yeah. so to speak and it's like which, which one is the better of two evils in that sense and he finally honors his word by letting himself be beheaded as part of the game but the second time I watched it and I, I noticed people like oh well there are theories that he actually doesn't die at the end and watching it again I was like okay there's two things number one once he's accepted his fate in the green knight he's like oh well done you brave knight he scratches his neck with his finger Almost as if that's the actual blow to the neck. Mm. And not what he might do with the axe in a moment or so. And then he says, now off with your head. Almost as if maybe he's saying, now off you go and keep your head. I can kind of see that being one way to read the film. And maybe it was edited that way to So the inside audience... Incite that conversation. Exactly. Inside, yeah. You know, very Inception-esque, that ending. I think Inception's ending is a little bit more obvious. Yeah. But I think the editing in this one really does allude to. Check out to... our Inception episode. Yeah, exactly. Not too long ago. You don't have to scroll down too far on Spotify. No, I think I think it is very open to both interpretations. And my understanding is that the most common ending in the Arthurian story is that he does go leave with his head that he doesn't die in that moment and he just gives up later on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Wouldn't that but, be interesting, so you your know, interpretation is that he definitely Gets beheaded at the end there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, there is that alternative there and we've incited a whole conversation based on it. So, mm. um, yeah. But in terms of the arc, you would hope that that's the moment in which we, we see that change. That he yeah. finally does something selfless.
1: I'm I'm with you. I think the arc makes more sense if he does die in that moment. Mm-hmm. If the Green Knight just, just kills him. Yeah. <laughs> Whack. <laughs> Next king. Next uh, destiny. Next king. There's things I want to really highlight. Mm-hmm. First off, this has to be one of the prettiest looking films ever shot in a $15 million budget. This film is gorgeous. It is pretty spicy. Absolutely gorgeous. Are you kidding me? It just looks so vast and epic. And even just like the, in, the interior stuff. I love the opening shot with him floating and his head with the crown like lights up on fire. It's just a great mood setter with the voiceover, mm. which I think was actually um, David Lauer and his wife doing mixing their two voices together from the monologue. Crazy. There's a lot of cool, like, facts in here. And like, some of it's on the um, the X-Ray trivia thing on the Prime uh, player. Some of it's on IMDb, of course. But a lot of it really tells me that this kind of... For how epic and vast this film is, mm. it really felt like a very personal film. with like, uh, like, the production designer, apparently she used her husband's thumbprint as, like, the main print on Gowan's yellow cape. Which is so cool because I noticed that immediately. I was like, "That's a really cool pattern." As yeah, it's a thumbprint. It's like lots of little details like that, and 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 Lowry involving his wife in a lot of the process. And... Yeah, well,
0: it ends up becoming a very uh, family
1: yeah set vibe, doesn't it? It does. Like I d- I love those little touches that are in there as well. Um, the other thing, and I didn't really pick up on this necessarily until um, I heard that this was one of the themes of the film that that Lowry's very much exploring is, and I guess this goes with the contradiction, but the, the contrast, particularly from, like, the the architecture and, and the, the mm. castles and that, um, of these Arthurian stories and where Gowan lives, and you compare that to the uh, this idea of nature, which I think the lady does go into in her monologue by the fire at one point in the film, but even just, like, the the fact that the Green Knight meditates in this big, lush, green bush, and then it's a, it's a lot more... Um, there's a lot more nature... Filling in that environment and just like the contrast between those two. Yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. And and reading about it after the fact, I was like, oh yeah, there's plenty of that in the film, which I thought mm. was quite interesting. Shot in the island. Yes, it was shot in island, was, which was, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous island takes. I love the... Well, the opening shot's great and it, it. The fact that it's very patient with the... I guess the fireman is walking around. There's the fire in the background. But I love the... Obviously, the reveal that we're actually looking for a window frame we pull out of the window frame, and I love that the the uh water droplets are matching to the beat of the score, <laughs> the <laughs> score moment. is amazing the score is amazing, oh, it's just so like especially the the ending montage where we see the vision of the future. it's like it's like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like how epic and and operatic it's getting at this point.
0: It is a very good soundtrack, yeah,
1: oh, it's bloody awesome, Jake. Mm. What was your highlight scene? My highlight scene for the Green Knight, (laughs) I think, I'm going to say, and it's interesting because I know you said you felt the first act was a bit slow. Yes. I'm actually going to go ahead and talk about the Green Knight's entrance. Oh, yeah. And that whole scene there, which I just thought was just, it's so engaging. I remember the first time watching this and that scene plays out and the Green Knight comes in and he's Mm -hmm. just such a... Like a huge presence, and like his visual is very interesting, and he's obviously of an other world from these characters in here, and even just like the small moment when the king looks at one of his right hand men, mm. and like the lighting just goes completely red for like a second, just to, and he he shakes his head as like don't mess with this character. Yes, like that's all like really interesting, and just you, I'm glued to the screen. Like, what is Gaiman going to do in this moment? Why is the Green Knight like yielding? you know, letting himself open to the blow and just like that whole through line up until the diorama retelling year later, uh, which apparently was a big part of the inspiration of the film was was the director making a diorama depiction of Willows. I think it's from the 80s, that film, which of course is a new Disney Plus show out now for. Um, so that that's where a lot of the diorama stuff comes into very subtle plug, right there. um yeah no I, I just thought that whole scene was super gripping and really set me up for the adventure we're going to go on um i just i loved it i thought it was a fantastic which almost feels like a bit of an obvious one in hindsight that that's the highlight scene but um i can't help but pick it i thought it was really excellent what about music? What's your highlight scene?
0: Um, I'm going to go with for my highlight scene. I am a big fan of uh I really like the the, the giant scene. I think that we really oh, that, get that yeah. that gauge of visually scope. just spectacular. Definitely visually spectacular, and mm. really captures sort of the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was to pick a shot that yeah, that 76 second shot while he's uh
1: riding away.
0: Yeah. Um and the kids follow him and then the kids don't follow him mm-hmm. and
1: Kind of mirrors the big one that happens when he meets the scavenger later on, mm. and does like these long, expansive takes on horseback. There's an unpredictability to to having the yeah. horse in this in those scenes. So I There's some. I, I mean, it. there are
0: great scenes. The scene where he makes it early to the Green Knight and he's forced to stay there for the night. Mm. Um, and we just see this towering figure um, who is so. Waiting for his doom. Into, yeah, and it's it's a great scene. And all credit to Patel and his performance. It's a very good performance.
1: Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. And I remember reading specifically that he wasn't the first choice um, to play Sir Gowan, um, even just like visually. But what it was was David Lau. He's seeing, I think he did like a photo shoot or like a model shoot. And he particularly commented how regal he looked. And it's like, oh, okay, he can actually see him in this role. I think the casting's awesome in yeah. this film. I think it makes a lot of sense. And he's great in the role.
0: The Green Knight is currently out on Amazon Prime. Speaking of Amazon Prime... Your free shipping, other... Zeke. Yes. <laughs> um, speaking of Prime and other streaming platforms, Jake, what's new to streaming platforms and cinemas this week?
1: Coming to cinemas and streaming this week, Zeke, you got Kill Books On... Uh, where you see a woman at work, a renowned assassin, but at home, a struggling single mother with a teenage girl. Killing is easy, it's parenting, that's the hard part. <laughs> I don't know if this is a comedy or a drama, it sounds like a comedy. That's
0: like a bit of everything, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: a bit of everything. Is that a reference to Kill Bill, the title? Potentially. There's also a sequel to the Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston oh, yeah. comedy murder mystery. So that's all coming to Netflix this week. Did you watch the original? No. Don't care? No, probably. I mean,
0: maybe. I mean, who? Hey, I might watch. It seems like a nice, fun date night kind of film, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I guess so. Brain dead. Could be
1: silly. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say I'm. I'm rushing to my computer screen to, <laughs> to stream it. But Don't hey, blame you. If you're into the first one, hey, there's a the second one. Now coming to Disney Plus, we got it's. It's a bit of a rom com week actually. Ooh. A couple of films coming out. You got Ray Lane, which is about two youngsters in South London connecting after reeling from bad breakups. You've also got Prom Pact, which is about a high school senior doing everything she can to get into Harvard, including dating the son of a powerful senator and Harvard alumni. She sounds like a not a great person. <laughs> <laughs> that's always the the thing with these modern day comedies is like you, you have a logline like that where it's like, that's a horrible thing to do. But the the character, she, she just has to play it just right that we'd like the character before she does the thing. Yes. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. So we'll see. Uh, films like uh, A24's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is coming both to Prime and Binge this week. If you're on Binge, you've got li- Liam, Liam, Lionel Liam, I think that's the name of the, the pronunciation of it, which actually also comes to cinemas later this week. It's a new film from Colin West and sees Jim Gaffigan and Ray C. Horn as a couple in a midlife crisis who turn a mysterious satellite that falls into their backyard into a rocket ship. Yeah, this, is, this sounds like a very bizarre film, very wacky. Does, but you do like a bit of Ray Seahorn. I do like a bit of Ray Seahorn. I want to see her on many, many, many more films. So this is a good start. Uh, we also have the season four premiere of Succession out right now. See, we're going to stop recording and watch this. Yeah, I'm going to go home and watch it. <laughs> oh, very good. You did finish The Last of Us this week. I did. We didn't talk about it. No. Did um, you enjoy it? Did you... Uh, what did you think of the ending? Um, Without spoiling it. A bit anticlimactic, not going to lie. Yeah, was no, a bit deflated.
0: Fair enough. Um, thought episode eight was good. Mm. Um, yeah, eight was really solid. Um, nine, bit deflating, bit, interesting, um, bit anticlimactic. I even found the last two episodes kind of a little bit meh. I think interesting. I think the show, on retrospect, season one highlights were definitely episode three, mm. three five, six, maybe. Okay. three, five, six. Um So, that's was I, I will say... And one. I, 1 was really good, so one, three, five, six.
1: It's like I was saying last week, I think the pacing definitely affected it a little bit in comparison to the game. I mean, the game, it's a lot more exciting, the winter sequence, and a lot more dangerous and scary. And mm. Thrilling, and, and David's just... I mean, great performance on television, but David in the game is just just a terrifying figure. Yeah. And I guess they can play more with like, size as well, because the thing... It, I might I mean, the game's ten years old, Zeke, but the whole the whole surprise of the winter sequence in the game is that you start playing as Ellie, which was a big surprise at the time when the game first releases. Oh my god, now I'm playing as Ellie, and you play like a good hour of the game, being like, "Is Joel dead?" <laughs> yeah. You don't know. So I mean that that's what's so exciting about the game version. While the the television series, it struggles to do that because we're already removed from those perspectives. Yeah. So there's less surprises with the ending. It is definitely a physically anticlimactic, but I think it's one of the boldest endings ever of any game, maybe of any show. And obviously, there is a part two. We know there's a mm. continuation from it. But just in terms of what it says about the selfishness of the acts of some of the characters yeah, in the story, it'll
0: definitely be something worth the fact that, yeah, you have those conversations. It's a moral where... conundrum. Absolutely. And well, it's, yeah, it's. I don't think it is as as conundrum. I mean, the fact that I I had a conversation today with my colleagues at work, mm. being like, "It really he is, although he's your protagonist, it's a, there are some selfish acts performed in that latter part, and, yeah, um, that don't really reflect the greater good." But once again, it, it's the fall of humanity is a unanimous theme of the show, and it mm. doesn't necessarily. Uh, well, it definitely doesn 't protect our main characters from that fall of humanity mm. or even being subject to being a part of it yeah um that 's definitely one of the sort of important takeaways from it um yeah it was a good it was a good season overall
1: yeah no, i feel, look i 'm very happy i mean compared to what they did to the uncharted movie, I thought the Last of Us show was yes. a phenomenally better adaptation and represent like you 've seen the last of us I feel like you you know the last of us now. Yes. Like, I don't think you need to, get, to play the game to be like, oh, this is what it was. It's like, yeah. no, the tone, the story, the character, you've got that. I look forward to playing the game. Yeah. Oh, you definitely still should. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. I mean, the game's, of course it's fantastic. But I
0: don't think but- I've been excited, as excited for a show as I have for season four of Succession.
1: Yeah. Well, that's it. Now we the can next, move the right next on to Succession.
0: ten weeks are going to be so
1: intense. I think it's only nine episodes, sadly. The next nine weeks <laughs> are going to be really intense. I'm hearing like it gets batshit insane yeah. from the get go, so I'm very excited. In hopefully in the next thirty minutes to an hour, that you jump right so, on that.
0: I have to ask before mm-hmm. before we move on. Yes. Just your first thought: Who ends up beating him?
1: Yeah, like our our predictions. Yeah. About who, how the show's gonna end? Yeah. Who takes over? Is it cousin Greg? <laughs> 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 Is cousin <laughs> Greg, the champion. Always gonna be Greg. I oh dude I you know I think it's what? gonna be
0: Kendall right?
1: It's still I mean I feel like okay I'll say this I'll say this when I watched the very first episode of Succession, and I just seen the one episode. I didn't know like the t- twists and turns of what happens and whatnot. But I remember watching the first episode, and messaging a few friends who they were all up to date and really keen for me to watch it. I said it, it feels like episode one feels like a promise that no matter how long it takes, because it, it, Logan beats Kendall down in that yeah. moment. When he decides, you know what, I'm going to stay for another 5 or 10 years. I'm not going to resign yet. If it was like a promise that like, Kendall it doesn't matter how long it would take, eventually he will get his revenge on Logan, and -hmm. maybe become the successor. So I feel like if the show really does stick to what I was feeling watching that pilot, then I guess Kendall does make a lot of sense. But... Cousin Greg. Cousin Greg also (laughs) has a strong opportunity. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like I love all the characters. I love them so dearly, but Would there be any other successor than Kendall that would feel satisfying? was Roman, Jerry, uh, Tom. It would be very interesting if it was anyone other than Kendall. But then also I think it's incredibly likely that Kendall doesn't survive the end of season four. I was pretty confident he was going to die at the end of season three, to be honest.
0: (laughs) What an exciting show it'll be unfolding. Sorry, Jake. No, I'm glad you asked me.
1: That's great. We're going to plant our flag right now. We're both Mm. going to say we think Kendall takes the throne. The game of throne. Yes. The iron throne. I've never seen game of thrones. (laughs) That's all I have to go with. Coming to uh, Apple TV Plus, Zeke. Tetris sees Taran Edgerton as Henk Rogers, a Dutch video game designer and entrepreneur, and journeys his trip to the Soviet Union as he battles for the IP rights to Tetris. This looks like weirdly looks like fun. It, yeah, it doesn't look bad. There's a lot of weird just, like video. How are we game-y paying effects. more money? Yeah, no, it's f- I I saw something that. Said I could. Oh no, it was Paramount Plus. It said I can get free Paramount Plus. I get seven
0: which... days free, and I'm timing it so I can get all of Ted Lasso in that seven. Oh, days.
1: very clever. Yeah, because that's doing its run right now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm keen to see Tetris. I wish there was a local theatrical screening because I'd probably go to that. But yeah, no, I'm good on good on Apple. That sounds interesting. They have got a few things because they're doing the Martin Scorsese thing later this year as well, which I forgot about. And I think they're going to do a proper wide uh, release for that. Killers of the Flower Moons or whatever or Flowers of the Killer I don't remember what it's called (laughs) we'll get to it now Zeke coming to cinemas from the director of Shoplifters and starring Kang Ho Son of Parasite fame uh, Brooker sees two friends whose connections to the local church allow them to run their illegal business stealing unwanted babies left at the church and to sell them on the adoption black market you can catch Shoplifters on Prime right now yeah you know reading that that is so Shoplifters energy (laughs) That is ridiculously shoplifter's energy. I That's so I've funny. I to watch
0: for a long time, so... You
1: should. Wait. It's great. It's so, like... I already feel bad for reading what I read. Mm. I mean, th- there's more to the story which I left out. Because yeah. I already feel bad for having that sport. Shoplifter, you have to go in blind. You have to go on blind. Because it's so, like, intriguing how things play out. It's very similar to Burning in that sense. Um, Parasite doesn't really fit into any of those. Because Parasite... Yes, there's definitely an excitement to watching Parasite blind and not knowing where the story's headed, but oh, then again, Parasite also has like a really dark twist as well. Maybe not as dark as as Shoplifters, but I don't know. A lot of great films coming from an astute conclusion. Yeah, the... <laughs> right, that's my takeaway from just everything. Great here. films great are films everywhere. Exist. They're everywhere and they exist. And finally. Uh, the portable door comes to cinemas. It's also coming to stand next week, so if you're impatient, you can wait till then. It's he's an intern played by Patrick Gibson at a mistress uh, a mysterious London firm with unconventional employees, including a CEO who wants to disrupt the ancient magical world with modern corporate practices. It also stars Christoph Waltz and Sam Neill, who of course is in our thoughts. Well, I believe yeah. he's fighting a he's fighting a cancer, cancer. diagnosis. Yeah.
0: Jeez. he says it's not life threatening though. Okay, that's good. So, that is good. But yes, we don't ever want to lose Sam Neill.
1: No. Not he this shall soon. live forever. No more people, please. No. <laughs> I know, it's it's tragic. It's just losing people all the time. Mm. Nice nice down away to end the <laughs> this part of the podcast.
0: Yeah. Well, let's try and bring it up a little bit. Yes.
1: Jake, obviously
0: we're moving from our 2020s. Mm-hmm. We've now kicked off our Countdown Through the Decades retrospective. We're moving into the twenty tens and we had a poll where we you did. guys decided what we would watch next. So, Jake, reveal to us what we're watching next.
1: Alright, so the poll next week was between two the two great films, I gotta say. Now I actually haven't I say that having not actually seen <laughs> one of the two. Uh, but I thought it was a very interesting battle mm. for films that represented the twenty tens. And, and, and it is a director's corner, exactly right. Now, one of the poll one of the films up for the poll was first reformed. Which uh, maybe maybe I'll still try and catch in the next week because I've never seen it. I've heard Paul things, Paul Trader. Uh, maybe another time we can do his director's mm-hmm. corner. Until then, though, Next week in the show we're watching Robert Eggers' *The Witch*. Ba like Philip if you are wicked, it. does he really speak to this?
0: This wilderness will not consume us.
1: Who's there? You've cursed this family. This is witchcraft. witchcraft. She placed a curse on me. Why have you turned against me? Swords.
0: You're right of evil. It's not safe. No one in.
1: The girl I sins A family in 1630s New England is torn apart by the forces of witchcraft, black magic, and possession. Now you mentioned this film earlier, it? I did.
0: I did obviously having <laughs> it's a familiar two, cast in it. <laughs> two of the familiar cast and obviously the same sort of Eggers mysticism happening. Mm. Now uh, this is the
1: one Eggers film I have not caught. I know, which is crazy because a lot of people still to this day think it might be his best.
0: So that's pretty spicy.
1: I know um, I think I think the a very early is Anna
0: Taylor Joy in this. Yes,
1: too. she's very young. That, it's weird now watching this is like, man, she looks really young in this. Yeah. When uh, at one time it was this was just like her big film. Yeah so crazy um,
0: it'll be cool to watch this and sort of well we'll do back to back weeks of breaking down mythology yeah, and ancient literature in modern day cinema so it's that'll be great to return to yeah so yeah. until then thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow Podcast I was Zeke I was Jake and we'll catch you with Robert Eggers the Vitch